Hi, this is Grant Cameron, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. I'd like to thank Partner Hero for sponsoring this episode. The world over, outsourcing can get a pretty bad reputation, seem to be exploitative and providing low quality service. That's why Partner Hero's values-based approach raises the bar for the outsourcing industry by investing in employee empowerment and career growth, paying above average market salaries and maintaining a focus on quality and performance. Offering flexible terms and the ability to scale quickly, which is perfect for startups, quality assurance is baked into every programme. Also with offices around the world, so Partner Hero can offer a truly global coverage, including onshore, nearshore and offshore options. I know right now in the UFO community, we are all waiting for a delayed report that we feel a certain organisation could certainly benefit from Partner Hero's assistance. I myself worked for outsourced companies growing up and had wildly differing experiences, facing many of the challenges that outsourced work brings. That's why Partner Hero's ethics and value-based approach really appeal to me and will to anyone looking to scale up their fast-growing business. So, if you are ready to bring in outside customer support help for your startup that feels like it's part of your existing team, check out Partner Hero. Head on over to partnerhero.com forward slash that UFO to book a free consultation with their solutions team. Mention you heard about Partner Hero from that UFO podcast and they'll waive the setup fee. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and joining me for his third appearance on the podcast, I have a UFO researcher, investigator and author of many books connected to the UFO topic, here to discuss his latest work, UFO Sky Pilots or Pilots of Peace and Oneness, Mr Grant Cameron. Grant, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you Andy, thank you for your interest in my book. Yeah, it's been excellent. And the copy of the book, if you're watching on YouTube, is just here. Links to buy the book will be in the description as well. I've been posting about it online. But if you want to hear more about Grant's background and history in the UFO topic, you can dive into some interviews that we've done in the past in the archives of the podcast. For this one, we're going to dive straight into the book. And for this book, Grant, you've chosen a niche within a niche. Uh, The UFO subject is niche within itself. But this is about the idea that human beings have flown flying saucers. What took you in that direction for this particular book? Yeah, it was like everything else in my UFO career that I, um, it happened to me. I didn't intend to have it. I'd never heard of such a thing in my life. Basically, what happened is I had a, a, a download experience in 2012, watching Colin Andrews give a lecture on crop circles in uh, Laughlin, Nevada. And I wasn't interested in the, in the lecture, crop circles or anything. And I had this download experience that basically said everything that you, not only is everything that you believe wrong, uh, not only is everything you believe wrong, it's exactly the opposite of what you think it is. And they they basically said, you know, that the fact that uh, consciousness was primary and I it came with absolute certainty. So I, I had sort of left the field of, you know, presidents and stuff, took a lot of flack for going into the woo subject of consciousness and stuff. And um, basically what happened after that, there was a woman by the name of Stacy who runs the MUFON group in Phoenix. It's a very large group in Phoenix, Arizona. And she said to me a year later, I'm in, back in Phoenix, I'm giving a lecture. And she said, are you still going to talk to Pam Dupuy? And I, and I said, well, I guess so. We're in a group of people. We're having a, they're having a, a get-together or something. I said, yeah, I guess so. And then I, I thought, well, I must have agreed to talk to this woman. I didn't know what was going to happen. She says, that's good. She's coming to the house on Monday, and you can talk to her. 
And so Pam comes to the, the house on Monday with her partner and they come in and she starts telling all sorts of stories that I've heard for 40 years. I mean, I'm, I'm remote viewing for the government and, uh, you know, I was abducted as a child and I've had these experiences and it went on and on. And I sort of like, you know, you've heard all this stuff and I was listening to her sitting across the kitchen table and then she dropped it on me. She said, oh, and I was flying the craft last night. And I went, what? <laughs> You're flying the craft? And she said, yeah, like with a straight face. And I'm thinking to myself, all I could think in my mind was Saudi Arabian women at that time were not allowed to drive a car unless there was a man inside the car. And I'm thinking to myself, they, they let you fly the craft. Why would they let you fly the craft? And I, was, I said, they let you fly the craft. Yeah. And I said, you were flying the craft? She said, yeah. And I was ready to throw her out of the house. I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I it just thought it was the craziest idea I ever heard in my life. And I said, well, how do you fly a craft? And she said, oh, you do it with your mind. And then suddenly I realized why they'd set me up with this woman to talk to her because I had been into this consciousness thing and they wanted me to know this thing. There's this consciousness interface. And that's the key to this book is once I had Pam tell me this story, I'd never heard it before. Never anybody told me anything so bizarre in my life. And, and the thing is, it's bizarre. Like if you're going to make up a story about being on a craft, the last thing you're going to say is, oh, I was flying the craft. I mean, people are going, to go, yeah, sure you were. I mean, the story's bad enough already that you're on a craft, let alone you're flying the thing. And so then these people started showing up and I run into a pre another person who's flew the craft, like Chris Bledsoe. And uh, he was talking, all of a sudden he said, you know, I, I flew the craft. And I said, you flew the craft? And he said, yeah. And I said, you flew the craft too? Yeah. And I said, hang on, stop. I want to I interview you. I want to do a, a Skype interview. Don't tell me anything more. I'm going to do a Skype interview and I want you to describe. And he described this very basic story that everybody tells. And all these 36 people that I tr tracked down or came to me, most of them came to me, uh, all with the same thing. They go into the craft and and they have, well, I'll tell the other bizarre things they describe, but they, the, the, they say, I go into the craft and a lot of them will say they're on the craft and they don't know what to do. They're standing in the middle of this craft and uh, they, they hear a voice from behind them and they, they, they get the impression that there's either two beings behind them or there's two human beings behind them. They, they really don't know, but there's a voice behind them and says, put your hand on a panel, put your hand on the panel, or you know what to do, just go ahead and do it. So this one guy, his name was uh, David out of uh, Los Angeles. He was a retired U.S. Air Force colonel. He was telling me the story that he came into a, a meeting. They were having a, after, you know, the people go to the restaurant after you lecture. And he hadn't been at my lecture. I'd been talking about flying the craft. And he came into the room, uh, into the restaurant, and they said, David, David, you got to talk to Grant. Said, Tell him your story. And, and then uh, he, I, I just waited and I said, you know, hi. And then they said, tell me, tell me you flew the craft. And then he says to me, he says, I, I think it was a dream. And I said, everybody thinks it's a dream. You flew the craft? And he said, yeah. And then they said, David, David, tell me you're a pilot. And so I said, oh, my father's a pilot. My son's a pilot. I said, what have you flown? And he starts naming off these jets. And then he says, F-16s. And I said, you flew F-16s? And he said, yeah. He said, are you retired U.S. Air Force colonel? I said, tell me, sit down and tell me your dream. And so I sit down and they tell this story. He's standing in the middle of the craft and he hears his voices. You know what to do. Just go ahead and do it. Almost like these people have done it before and they've forgotten. And then, then they, they, they go. And so he, there's this panel there and he goes and puts his hand on this, pa on this panel. And he said, suddenly 
he becomes one with the craft, which is important. This is oneness principle they, that the, the beings are always trying to get across. Everything is one. Everything's connected. You become one with the craft. You and the craft are the same thing. And whatever you think is what the craft does. And wherever you want to go, the craft will take you there. And will take you instantaneously to wherever you want to go. Almost like, a, like a, a, say, a remote viewing where the person is instantly at the target. Wherever you say, here's the target, the number, you're instantly at the target. So he, he said, I'm flying, the, I'm flying the craft. He says, and then it's flying along. And he said, just like an F-16, like suction cups on an F-16, whatever that means. I, I, I never tracked that down. But he said, and then he said, I'm flying. And then he said, I take one hand off the, off the panel and I'm waiting for the flying saucer to stall. And, and I'm going to put my hand back down quickly. And he said, he took his hand up and he said, he kept, he kept flying the craft. And then he took the other one up, but he went, oh, it's about an inch off the, off the panel. And he was ready to put it back down. And he said, he got his hands off and he said, I'm, I got my hands there. And he said, I'm flying the craft. And it's just, it's in, it's, my mind is doing it. And I, I'm not touching anything. And then the people will describe that they can go wherever they want and that the beings will say to them this important thing, like the story of Ron Johnson, who's um, uh, an experiencer who's actually publishing his book of 50 years of experiences. Uh, when he flew it, he was sitting in this, he, they got him to sit in his chair, put his fingers in these, the ends of this chair. They had these holes in the ends of the chair. And he said the chair was like it was built for him. It was actually fit his body so perfectly. And he sat down in the chair and then they said, it's within you. Imagine where you want to go. It's within you. And that's that's critically important because people were told this. It's within you. Almost like the Sufi expression. You see yourself as a puny form when within you the entire universe is unfolded. This idea that you're, you're going to go. And Ron Johnson says it was one second. And he said he looked out the window of this craft and there was the Milky Way off in the distance, which would have been fifty to 70,000 light years in one second. So if that's true. There's some problem with with our ideas of time and space. And when Free did the survey of 3,000 experiencers, and I always say the experiencers are the people we should be talking to, they they 14% of the people who answered the question during that survey said they'd flown the craft. And I talked to the people, some of the, one of the guys who was doing the survey, and I said, well, why don't we put out another survey to these 14% of people and find out what they're how do you fly craft? And then he said, well, you know, people have all sorts of experiences on board the craft. And I said, yeah, that may be true. But when they start flying the craft, don't you think we should be talking to these people? Because everybody's into propulsion. How do they get here? Time and space and all this kind of stuff. And the idea is there's an anomaly. There's an anomaly that, that, that is wrong, almost like Gary Nolan will talk about, the 5% that falls outside the bell curve. That's what he's interested in. That's where the Nobel Prize is going to be. There's an anomaly. because if, if, So if the materialistic paradigm is right, this should not be happening. There's no way it should be happening. And there's something wrong. So you look at the anomaly and you start talking to these people. And what you get is this idea that this, this idea of oneness, uh, the interacting with the craft. And then you get these, uh, it starts to explain some of the things that experiencers will talk about when they say, I knew that night I was going to be abducted, or I knew the craft was around. People will say, I know it's here, I, and then it'll appear. And John Alexander was one example when he was with Chris Bledsoe. John Alexander was a very famous colonel in the U.S. Army who got into paranormal phenomena. He was studying Chris Bledsoe, and they were standing uh, above where Chris had been abducted, sitting, uh, leaning against the car, and suddenly Chris said, John, John, they're here. John looks around. And he says, well, how do you know they're here? I just know. I, I know they're here, John. I know they're here. And all of a sudden, this, poof, this thing appears above John, and he goes flying off into the distance. And John said it was one of the most amazing things he'd ever seen in his life. And it was this connection. that It's a vibration thing, which is my, my conclusion that 
it would appear that everything is sort of vibrating. So they can come in and if you've touched the craft, if you've been one with the craft, then you've vibrated with the craft. So when the craft is in the area, you can feel that vibration. They come in, they lower their vibration. You be, it, it materializes and then it dematerializes. And it's this idea of consciousness. The consciousness creates matter. And that was something that was told to me in this experience I had in 2017, my download experience, was if the world is made out of matter, that's one world with certain rules and regulations. But if it's made out of consciousness, that's a completely different world. And that's the thing we're missing, that the majority, the majority of early quantum physicists, whether it was Bohr, whether it was Planck, whether it was Schrodinger, uh, von Neumann, all these guys were realists. They all believed that consciousness was primary and that matter was secondary. And that's what we've got to realize is that matter, matter is secondary to consciousness. And that's how the, the, these beings simply understand this concept that there, there's, everything's made out of consciousness and they can manipulate stuff because it's all made out of consciousness and they can do it. So uh, once I started getting, gathering these people, I realized that all these people were telling exactly the same story. And I decided that I had to put this in a book and now it's, it's sort of useless. So if now something comes up and says, oh, they flew the craft. It really doesn't mean anything because my book is out. So now people know this is there, but I can guarantee you, nobody was talking about this before. The same as before 2012 in the UFO community, nobody was talking about consciousness. It's almost like these ideas are sort of fed to us. The consciousness rises and then everybody starts talking about it. And it's, that's how the thing is going to unravel the, the, the disclosure it's piece by piece. They're putting in these, these pieces of the story to us and giving them to us because I don't think it was I don't think it was an accident that I suddenly got three dozen people all coming to me and telling me this bizarre story about uh, flying the craft and this bizarre and some of these other bizarre things that I've described in the book is this idea that a lot of experiencers will say when I went into the craft I suddenly realized it's like the size of a football stadium inside the craft. And then they look outside the craft and it's like 30 feet. And they look inside and it's the size of a football stadium. And that the beings tell them we can make the craft as big as we want. And Pam Dupuy, the first woman that, that I interviewed that told me this original story back in 2013, said the, the, the intelligence, some of these crafts are as big as solar systems. They can make it as big as they want. So you can be, a, you can be walking down the street, Andy, and there's a rock on the side of the, the, the road. And there's a civilization inside that rock. This is this whole idea that they can make it as big as they want. And the other thing they described, which was very, very bizarre, and a lot of them described it, was something that's described in OBEs, which show, sort of shows that the UFO experience overlaps near-death experiences in OBEs in that they, they would describe the fact that when they touched it, like the guy from Liverpool said, there was a panel on the wall. And when I put my hand on the panel on the wall, I could see under, I could see in 360 degrees, which is another story you're not going to make up. Like, who's going to make up that story? I never heard that before either. Like, you can see in 360 degrees. Come on, give your head a shake. That's impossible. This is a crazy story. So people are telling this crazy story, but they're all telling the same crazy story. And then now we've got to analyze it. What does this mean? And and it's this key consciousness connection that these people are displaying. There is a definite consciousness connection to how the craft gets here, how it is manipulated, and the fact that AI is possible. That crafts, this is an AI craft. It's, it's possible because they use biological material. And I think I described it in the book. There's actually been some experiments done with biological material. There was one just, done Grant, yeah. just, just before we get there, because I am going to get to that. There's a lot to unpack there, but I just want to ask, you mentioned these 36 individuals that make up the the cases in the book. And I, I want to know, and some of the listeners, Sean and Melanie, had similar questions as well. So thanks for sending those in. Were there any patterns that you saw in those individuals, genetically, personality-wise? Are they creatives or anything that you saw within those 36 people that was a well, common trait? 
Okay, well, they're all experiencers, so they're all telling this other story. This is just a side story to the fact that they were abducted and, and they were on the table and, and this sort of stuff. Uh, that would be the one, a lot of women, uh, that, that's one thing I did pick up, it was a lot of women. And um, if you take a, take a look at the experiencers, it's the idea, they're talking, you were talking about creativity. Uh, I had established that in previous books, was this idea that uh, John, John Lear, who did the 17 alien implants, when he was asked what's common between all these experiencers, he said they're all right brain creative people and there's tons of them in Hollywood. And so there would be this idea that, you know, that they're creative people like Chris Bledsoe is very creative, artistic, stuff like that. You're going to get those kind of patterns. But it's the, 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 the idea that they're going across the spectrum in, in some ways. Like I had a 747 United Airlines pilot, the, uh, the fighter jet pilot. Uh, Chris Bledsoe has this commercial license. Um, then you get these, um, just ordinary, uh, people who are housewives or we had the one case with, uh, multiple witnesses, almost like they're giving us uh, different types of cases. Uh, cause then we had the one, uh, Jean is her name. Uh, she and another woman were taken. They were, they were in a tent and there was three women in the tent and two of the women were taken and they were allowed to fly the craft. Same thing. Look in your mind and, and wherever you think is, is, is what it, where you're going to go. Uh, and the third woman was was in the tent. She was furious when these women came back that they didn't wake her up. But they said, we didn't have a tent chance to wake you up. We were suddenly, boom, we were in the craft. We had no chance to wake you up and take you along. But uh, I think it's 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 going to be an experiencer thing where I think they're showing us things. That's what I think they're doing. Because, for example, Ron Johnson was told that his job was to, I, I think we had two of these, where their job was to fly people to another planet and this is almost like this this uh, a lot of experiences get this uh idea that the end of world is coming and they're going to take us off almost like the 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 song after the gold rush when the gold is gone the silver seeds are going to come and take the chosen ones to another planet it's that kind of idea and so he had he only remembers one case of actually flying the craft and he's got very serious heart condition he i mean he's got you know limited time to live so it doesn't appear that that's true that that's his job was to uh to fly the craft so i think they're showing us things they're they're giving it almost even maybe the fact that they're putting it to me they want this story out because that's what you'll hear from a lot of experiencers i run across it all the time because i have the publishing company it's all connected where i help experiencers try to get their story out i always say to them have you written this up have you told you written a story i think they want you to write this story and I'll say, have, do you think they want you to write a book? Yeah, yeah, they want me. I don't want to write a book. Yeah, they want me to write a book. And everybody gets the same thing. So what I do is I help these people publish their book. I really don't take any money except for if somebody has to edit it or do a cover or something like that. I said, I, I show them. You can edit, you can get one book for yourself, for your kids, record this story. That's what I think they're doing with these, with these, the, they want this idea of consciousness put across and they're, they're doing it through this bizarre story. And even maybe the fact that they're bringing it to me because I've had lots of people say that they wanted me. I've had now four, I'm going to write a book about it. I've had four people who've come to me, experiencers and say, we've got a message to, from you, from the aliens. And I say, really? There was one in Britain with the beings. Oh, they, they want an interview. They want you to interview them. And it's like this bizarre thing where I've never had the experience myself, but I've had experiencers come to me and say, and then I'll say, so what does the alien want to know? What does it want to tell you? And it's, it's almost like I'm sort of a messenger that I've been picked to do this. I've even got another book from New Zealand that I'm now going to release that, that has been given to me that they want out. And it's a book written out of a, from a guy out of New Zealand. So I, the pattern is not genetic, although I think the, the gene thing does play a big part in, in this thing, but it's, I think it's a bigger part than people understand. 
because I'm actually trying to run an experiment um, whether the consciousness of a person, the DNA of a, of a person channeling will change. I believe it will. If a person is trans-channeling, I believe the conscious, the conscious DNA will change. It'll be different. So uh, DNA does play a big part. I think that's where the, the information is stored that's moved um, you know, f- uh, in this present lifetime, and then it's moved to another life and, and this sort of thing. So, but no pattern in terms of the, they're all this or they're all that. I was surprised how many women there were, just ordinary women who had this experience, which is the whole idea of the original woman. It was like, you're like a 75-year-old lady. Why would they let you fly the craft? Come on, this is crazy stuff. I, I couldn't believe she was telling me this story. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever wish sometimes life came with a user manual? Unfortunately, it doesn't, and sometimes you can just get stuck in place treading water. Therapists are trained to help you figure out the cause of challenging emotions and learn productive coping skills, which makes therapy the closest thing to a guided tour of the complex universe called you. Normally, folks, I make a witty comment or joke within these ads, but in all honesty, I was never the type of person who thought they would find any sort of therapy useful. I was wrong. Using BetterHelp, I can genuinely say that it has helped me in some tough times recently work through these and move forward, not only finding a solution for the moment, but helping me learn skills to use going forward too. You can't put a price on that sort of peace of mind, I can promise you that. If you're stuck in a moment that's left you lost or not even sure how to move forward, then you should truly consider trying BetterHelp. As the world's largest therapy service, BetterHelp has matched 3 million people with professionally licensed and vetted therapists available 100% online. Plus, it's affordable. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to match with a therapist. If things aren't clicking, you can easily switch to a new therapist anytime. It couldn't be simpler. No waiting rooms, no traffic, no endless searching for the right therapist. Learn more and save 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash thatufo. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash that ufo had they all practice remote viewing you mentioned a few and i know a few of the names but some of the listeners also mentioned this were they all remote viewers um no this woman claimed to be actually doing it for the u.s government that they had hired her and she was doing a lot like a lot of experiences have that like you have this the, the pattern this is where i say the free survey is so important is that if you look at the free survey you uh i asked for example i asked um um, a uh, person who does uh, regressions out of Los Angeles. Sorry, I'm forgetting her name. A major woman, and I asked her. I said, "How many? How many experiencers uh, have paranormal stuff happen to them?" And she goes, uh, "Like ninety nine percent." So all experiencers have this thing where they're they they seem to be psychic, or suddenly they're having out of body experiences. Eighty percent say they've had out of body experiences, and and they you have these crossovers with experiencers with near-death experiences, which I always point out that it's going to be the same thing. It's, it's, it's maybe a different vibration, but it's the same sort of principle that 40% of all experiencers say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And when they came back, they forgot it. They just remembered that they knew everything at one point. And 31% of all near-death experiencers will say at one point during their experience, they knew the answer to everything in the universe. And that's critically important because it shows the crossover and it also shows the fact that everything is in the field. So if you can get into the field by whatever method you're using, all the answers are there. And that's the whole idea. I wrote a book called uh, in, 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 
uh, inspired the paranormal world of creativity where I look at musicians and artists and, and uh, uh, UFO experiencers and people doing psychedelics. And it's this whole idea of where do creations come from? Where do Nobel Prizes? And you see a lot of Nobel Prizes come from this sort of download experience that I had. So um, they're, 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 it's so important, this consciousness uh, uh, thing to confirm this fact that this consciousness thing is being used because people still always want to go with the materialistic thing. Oh, we're going to get these, uh, we're going to get a ship and we're going to take a piece of metal and we're going to back engineer it. And it's like, no, you're not going to do any of that kind of stuff. Or if you take the Wilson leak, I don't know if you've done any shows on the Wilson leak document at the very end of the Wilson leak document. What, what stood out to me? Cause I didn't read the document. I read the first page. I read the last page or the second last page or whatever. Cause someone pointed out to me, I read it and it says we have, we he, Wilson, Admiral Wilson was told, we have a craft and we think it'll fly. As soon as I heard that, I said, oh, so the story's true. The rumor was they've got a craft and they can't turn it on because it's like your cell phone. It needs your fingerprint. It needs your face print. It needs something. And, and what you need here is you need a consciousness interface. You need consciousness to touch the craft, to become with the craft. And you need the right person because Melinda Leslie tells a story about the mill apps where the mill app people are taken. And she said they are given pieces of, of equipment and it's, they, they give them the piece of equipment and suddenly the equipment starts to operate and they go, oh, we got another one. And that's what they do is the, the experiencer can make the UFO equipment that they've got the recovered hardware work, but nobody else can. So if you're not an experiencer, you can't work it. Or there's the story that, that um, Chris Bledsoe's son tells on his podcast where Tim Taylor, the guy from NASA, the big shot from NASA who, who's inside on the inside, comes and he puts a piece of metal in, Chris, in, in Ryan's hand. He says, what do you feel? Ryan says, nothing. He puts a second piece of metal in his hand and he feels this, this shock go up his arm. He said, that's good. And then he goes and he does Chris Bledsoe Jr. And he does uh, all the other, the kids. He does the wife. He does, and, and then he does the girlfriends, Chris Bledsoe uh, Jr.'s girlfriend. Nothing happens to her. And then he does Chris Bledsoe himself, and he basically goes in like almost into shock. He's very, very affected, and he starts to have this sort of a download and, and channeling. And what Tim Taylor told uh, Ryan is, he said, "The fact that you got the shock proves that you've been face to face with an with a with a uh, an entity." And so they know some of this stuff, and they know it's, it's so. That's the idea would be the idea behind Millabs is they're grabbing these people and they're trying to find who are they who's. Who's an experiencer? Who's not? What are they being told? But the experiencers can. So when I saw at the end of the Wilson Leak document where they say, we've got a craft and we think it'll fly, means they got a craft and they can't fly it. It's completely intact. It's been given to them and they can't, they can't turn it on. Let me ask Grant, and I think a lot of people, especially those who are maybe a little bit more skeptical, would want to know, why is any of these individuals being chosen to, to fly a craft? And what is the purpose of that? Personally, I can't believe it's because they want them to go and write a book about it or, or make a documentary or, you know, anything like that. There must be a greater purpose to give someone that incredible exposure and experience. And then if it was if it was to get a message out of there, why not pick, you know, a major celebrity, someone high up in the military, a major politician, and not to say they don't, give them that opportunity and put that message out in a big way? Is, is there something maybe in between? 
Well, they do put it out to, to major. Like I, I, I wrote the book, uh, Tuned In, The Paranormal World of, of Music, where I look at how many musicians are experiencers. It's unbelievable how many how many of them are experiencers and, and how many of them sang the, the song after the gold rush. So they do go to these people. But we have the idea, and I brought this up, they have the idea that they, were, they're, they want this sort of out, they want the the end and that's not what they want they want this gradual disclosure exposure exposure they're they're giving it piece by piece and moving us along uh, along a trail where we're following the trail because if they wanted to land on the white house line they could do it anytime they wanted and it, the idea is not for us to get to the end of the thing it's for us to learn and and so they i think they're doing this gradual thing is i call it the theory of wow where i i point out where you have the Nimitz thing. So you have to say, okay, they're at the Nimitz and this UFO is up at 80,000 feet and it drops down to sea level in seven eighths of a second. So what is that UFO doing? It's showing off. It's just going, oh, but tell, tell this story. Or like when people will have UFO experiences, I say, well, how, how long was it there? And I go, I don't know, uh, two seconds, three seconds. I said, what was it doing? Uh, it wasn't doing anything. Do you think it wanted to see you? I asked the question. I go, yeah, I think so. Or I ask people, do you think you have a mission experience? Do you think you have a mission? Yeah, I kind of, I think so, but I really don't know what it is. Or they'll say, yeah, I got a mission and I know what it is. And so I, I see it as they're doing this thing where they're, they're just doing crazy things to, um, to, to get our attention, to gradually move it out because the, the world of UFOs is completely different now than it was in 1975. There was no talk about consciousness. There was no talk about channeling. There was no talk about any of this kind of stuff. We've moved a long way from 1975 and they're just moving us along this. Cause some of the people on that were in the book will describe the fact that when they were children, they were being trained and they were being trained. They were sitting in a circle and they were sitting in a circle. They could see the being from say the waist down. They couldn't see from the waist up and that they, they were being trained to level balls and they had these three different color balls and the one was very hard to levitate the one was sort of not it was pretty hard and then the other one was very easy and they would these kids were levitating these balls so they're training these kids as they as they grow up and then they they they, they do this other stuff but they they a lot of the stuff is is not not exposed for example people don't remember all their experience they only remember part of their experience so if the aliens wanted you to not remember the experience they could block the experience there's people think oh this leaking out no no they if they have control to come here from a star system they can they can control uh, a person's but they're allowing people to remember certain little bits and pieces where the person is trying to put it together and that's what they want you to do because when you figure it out then it, it doesn't leave your head but if someone else comes and tells you oh this i had this success experience, then you go, yeah, it's, it doesn't really mean anything. It, if it happens to you, it's a different thing. So that's what I think they're doing. They're doing this gradual disclosure, same as I think the government's doing gradual disclosure. I don't care what Chris Mellon says. Oh, no, there's no gradual disclosure. Absolute nonsense. I talked to producers who were given jobs to do uh, documentaries for the government. Uh, absolutely not true. They are dropping the story and they're doing it gradually uh, instead of dropping it all in, in one piece, because I say that this thing is going to be a thousand times more complex than people think it is. When you start getting inside the thing about if it's inside your head, if there's no time and space, then how big is the universe? 
that, this kind of stuff that people are not going to be able to handle. And the other thing they're not going to be able to handle, people say, oh, we want to know the truth. We just want to know what's going on. And I say, do you seriously think in the United States of America that they are going to allow grays, reptilians, and mantids to walk down the streets of the United States of America to immigrate into the United States of America and build factories with their free energy and stuff and compete against the Americans? <laughs> it ain't happening. They, they have problems with all sorts of races outside the United States. Now you got this America first thing. So it's if you're a foreigner, are you going to allow uh, these highly advanced beings to come in and integrate. Uh, it, there's so many things that people haven't thought about as, as to uh, why this thing is being covered up by the government or why they're gradually releasing this thing. And I think both the government and the, the intelligence are doing the same thing. They're doing this gradual thing where people are telling stories and it's advancing. Like I even have, like I did orbs for, for a couple of years now, orb panels. And I absolutely maintain in the last couple of months, the orbs have actually changed. The photographs have actually changed and we're getting these orbs now with actual structure inside the orb, like almost like a cell. It's very, very bizarre. And I've never seen this before. And and uh, so I've gone through almost 50 years of this, and I, I see the pattern keeps changing and changing. Even like 1890, 1895, 1896, they were flying around in wooden ships, and they said they were from Mars. They're changing the pattern as they go along, and, and people want to get to the end. Let's get to the end. What's the end story? And this thing is going to go on for a long time because it's a gradual thing, and it's very, very advanced. It's very, very, it's going to be very little material aspect to this thing. It's going to be very, very, very bizarre almost like the Leslie Kane story where the hand appears in the seance and she, she touches the hand and shakes the hand. She's it's a real hand and then it bangs the table and disappears. It's that kind of thing where it's way beyond what anybody can think what these beings can do. So they have to release it to us gradually. And that was actually in the, the, the report that was done in the 1960s for the U S government that you've got to acclimatize the people. You've got to slowly bring this thing out. And then people will say like, when was gay marriage uh, accepted? And you go, I don't know. I don't really remember what happened. It's going to be that kind of thing where it just slowly happens. Like now people won't, uh, won't attack you as I've, on Facebook. People now won't attack you because you've signed a UFO because the New York Times said UFOs are real and the government is investigating. Now they'll attack you if you put something about orbs. Now they can attack you. So they've moved, all the skeptics have moved off UFOs and they've gone to other paranormal subjects. And, and that's what's happening. It's this gradual disclosure where the government will eventually say, oh, there's aliens. And everybody will go, yeah, I know there's aliens. Okay, now where are they from? The people, it won't affect them at all. Same as when 1990, uh, 2017, when they released the fact there was UFOs and they were actually, there was a cover up and they were UFOs, what happened? Nothing. Nobody did anything because they went through this gradual acclimatization of getting people ready for the fact that aliens do exist. Are there any two or one or two standout accounts from the book that if someone from a serious scientific or academic background came forward to you, Grant, and said, look, I'm willing to spend a small amount of my time looking into this, are there any cases you would point them to and recommend if they had no former background in a UFO topic but wanted to get involved that you would say, look into this gentleman's or look into this lady's, you know, case? Okay. Well, there's there's no reproducibility with this again because it's an experience where they give the person the experience. It's not like they can phone up the aliens and get back on the ship with their skeptical, you know, person. But the three I would probably, well, I mean, Chris Bledsoe I would give, and and he's being investigated by the U.S. government. They've got people on his property all the time, and I actually talked to him about that, and he said I asked him. I said, what what, what are you guys doing on my property? They've got. CIA and CIA and uh, he showed that he I said did you ever did you ever get asked by the government uh, how to fly craft he said 
Oh yeah, I said they they brought a U.S. general to me, and I described to a U.S. Air Force general how to fly the craft. So Chris is being investigated. The other one I would give you is Robert out of uh, Los Angeles, although I don't think he wants to be uh, be public about it. And the the retired U.S. Air Force or the guy that flew seven four sevens United Airlines, he's had two experiences uh, of this uh, this encounter out of San Francisco. And the other would be John Ramirez. So John Ramirez has now come forward from the CIA. And John Ramirez suddenly says, oh, yeah, I've, but his description of flying the craft is completely different. He's talking about, uh, well, I won't get into this, it's very complex. It's much more esoteric, much more uh, sort of woo than, than this stuff. It's, it gets into, it's not even a craft when he's moving around and he goes to this planet of ice and stuff like that. So John Ramirez is a guy, he's a high-level CIA guy that you can check his background or whatever and question him. So there are these people out there. And the key is to, to make it acceptable for these people to come forward, because if you have 14% of all experiencers flying the craft, there's a lot of people out there who are hiding are hiding now that, that could come forward. But we have a number of pilots. There's three pilots. And there's the guy from the CIA that I would that I would recommend. You, you've mentioned there that the tales aren't reproducible in a scientific way and they're merely anecdotal. How do we move on from that place? You say the experiencers are the ones that really need to be be talked to and, and that has to open up. Is there a way that this weight of testimony presented in a book like yours can be valued by the more sceptical community? Okay, well, the way I see scientific method working is it's number one, it's hypotheses. Everybody has a, 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 um, an idea. There's nothing proved. You start with an idea. Oh, I think this is going on. And then you write a, a, an experiment where you say, I'm going to do this experiment. And you actually tell the people what the result of the experiment is going to be. And then you try to get funding for it because people say, well, I'd like to have that. And so it starts with an idea. And then you you make observations. Uh, then uh, you, made, you run an experiment. Then you make observations. Then you make a conclusion. And based on the conclusion, you make another hypothesis. You get another idea in your head. And none of that is really uh, um, sort of... Uh, um, along the lines of, 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 of proving to people, because people will always come up and say the world is flat, sun goes around the earth. Uh, people still believe this kind of stuff. Um, we, the thing is that what we're doing now is we're doing, we're back in 1947. So what we're saying is, oh, we need Congress to look at this thing and Congress is going to give money and they're going to get monitors and they're going to get uh, cameras and we're going to investigate this. And I'm going, this thing is very plastic. They can come as whatever they want. They can t- even even the thing, what they, the, the, the idea of what the craft looked like. So they asked the first uh, congressional uh, report, what, what did they, what does the, the, the craft look like? And they said, classified. We can't tell you. What about the sightings? Classified. We can't tell you. So what are we doing? We're setting up another thing where we're going to investigate UFO sightings. And that's anecdotal as well. You can't reproduce that, but we're going to go through that. We've done it. Like, And I say this is like grade one. We're going to go through grade one for the 57th time. I mean, it's like, give it, like, let's move on. Let's accept the fact that UFOs are real and get to another anecdotal thing, which is the, the craft, which gives you these ideas that people will say, Oh, that's how they're getting here. And that's when you get people working on wormhole theory and stuff like that. This whole idea that these guys get these ideas and it leads to them doing an experiment, which may prove some of it. But you got to get past the sightings and you got to get past to the, you got to get to this idea where people are saying 360 degree vision and oh, they're all telling it. And this, well, is this possible? And it, it inspires people who can do the experiments. But until we talk to these people and realize that there are piles of people telling these very, very bizarre things and they're very, very common. 
we're, we're, we're going to be sort of thrown off. We still believe there's time and space. We still believe there's nuts and bolts. And if we can get a piece of craft, even the pieces of craft, I say to people like, come on, we're, we're going to investigate this stuff. This stuff is dropping. They're dropping it on purpose. When you come across the galaxy, little pieces don't start falling off the flying saucer. They're dropping it on purpose. You've got to realize what, what's, what's going on here. And you could pick up the metal, but to think you're going to pick up a piece of metal and, and investigate it, uh, you know, uh, build a flying saucer, but you can learn from what they're telling us. You can learn this thing, even with the idea where the metal was being put down one atom at a time. People can reproduce that. People can get ideas on how to do it, or how the structure works. Same as they use for pieces of the same thing they use for looking at, at uh, how a tree puts the sap up into the tree. You start looking at how the nature does it, and it gives you an idea how to build something. That's what we got to look at, the anomalies. But we got to get past the sightings. we got to get into the, the sighting thing. Because that's critically important. When when they start flying the craft and, and they say, how did they get here? What are they doing? You start realizing that time and space may not exist. If Ron Johnson's story is true and he moved 50 to 70,000 light years in one second, there's something seriously wrong with time and space. And that's all we need to say. You don't need to do an experiment. You just got to say, hey, something may be wrong here. And it's not until you deal with the anomaly. As long as you keep shuffling the same pieces around, it's never going to work. There's a piece that's missing. We got to stick in these pieces and that's the anomalies. And that's why these people are so important their stories that they have to be gathered and they have to be analyzed because they're telling extremely important things half the people are healed half the people claim they can heal you start seeing these patterns over thousands of people and you realize like whoa man there may be some some uh, uh experiment or even tyler d where if you open up you may be in you may get contact like tyler d the guy from american cosmic um, he's got like 40 inventions. The one invention he had, he told me about when I had a meeting with him, uh, he told me about that. And that apparently was sold on NASDAQ. That company that was part of that invention was sold on NASDAQ for $100 million. There are people who are getting inventions out of this. I can guarantee you that the, a lot of the invisible college are not coming forward, not because they don't want to be ridiculed. It's because they're waiting to get a patent. They're trying to figure out, and they're talking to the experiences. They're talking to Chris Bledsoe. They's trying to figure out, and that's what the Chris, Chris's people told me. He said, why are you coming to me? Why are you on my way of my property what, what's the deal and he said well chris he said it appears they 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 like they like you they're you've got contact they don't like us we haven't got any contact so we have to come and see what they're doing with you and that's the whole deal that you may get contact you may get into this uh ability to pick this up and get an, an inspiration and get patents tyler d's got 40 patents and he said they're they're all coming he tells exactly how he does it or gary nolan says I don't know how the system works, but I know how to make it work. And he has this thing where he puts the, the, the question. He thinks out all the, all the scenarios. And he puts a question beside the bed at night and he wakes up in the morning. And that morning or the next day or two, the, the idea comes and solves the problem in his head. So this is kind of stuff that we can work on. But it's not until you start believing it and you start listening to these people. As long as we say, oh, it's anecdotal. We don't need to listen to this stuff. We throw all this stuff in the garbage. And there's a lot of stuff here that will give people ideas on, on what we may have wrong, what anomaly, because something's wrong. Otherwise, this would not be happening. If the material world was as people describe, this would not be happening. Babbel is one of today's sponsors and they are the best way for you to begin to learn a new language. Immersing yourself in the language of your choice from day one through a whole range of learning styles including podcasts, games and online classes. It's available on desktop or through their app, 
Babbel's courses are created by didactics experts and focus on real-life situations. So if you're holidaying in France and spot a UFO, you can get locals' attention quickly and efficiently. The lessons are as short as 15 minutes and fit into any schedule and can be downloaded to work on offline while on the go. With the help of everyday dialogue exercises and the speech recognition software, learners can practice their pronunciation and regular vocabulary repetition ensures that what is learned is memorised over the long term. I can already hear some of you listeners getting in touch to tell me I should really learn English given my dodgy accent. When you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six months extra for free by using the code AUDIO1. That's A-U-D-I-O-1, the number one. Pay for six months and learn for a whole year. Get info and redeem the code at babbel.com forward slash audio. Folks, today is the day you finally decide to make a life-changing decision and learn that new language. Let's segue into some listener questions that follow on nicely from what you've said there, Grant. Uh, the first one from Baron Fly Guy. Did any of the pilots check how time had passed before, during, or after piloting? Um, well, the thing that stood out is they all said it was instantaneous. That, that it, they would think about it and boom, they would be there. It's almost like a remote viewer. I, that's, that's the analogy I give. Remote viewer, when they read out the number and then the guy says, okay, I'm over the target. It's instantaneous. It's like, and it's the idea that er, there is no time and space. Everything is here and now. And so when you go to do a remote viewing session, you go inside your head. It's all inside your head. And that's where you get it. And this may be the same thing that you're going inside your head. You've heard this with out of body experience stuff. The, the one guy that was a pilot is the, uh, I don't know if you've interviewed him. He's the um, head of MUFON for Japan. He said all of his are out of body experience, all of them. And he goes to the craft. He deals with the with the with the beings. He's flown the craft. He, he talks about them pulling books out of the wall with it, with information. They just the wall is, is looks like it's completely white, and they just put their hand there, and this book comes out of the wall. And he's described this, and he said he stopped doing it. He had twenty two sessions, but you get that kind of stuff that leads you to. Uh, to, to understand that that we've got a problem with time and space. If Ron Johnson's right, then it all may be here and now. They said to Ron, go within yourself. It's inside of you. And and that's the whole deal. That just it shatters everything that we believe. It, it's just so far removed. And that may be why they're gradually releasing it to us so that we can gradually get the concept one piece at a time rather than dumping this on because it's going to be a thousand times more complex or even like uh, David Bohm said at one point he said when you get to the bottom of the quantum physics world and you figure it all out he said there's just another level below that I mean universe the universe may be that complex that it's just it's getting bigger and more complex and we're helping build the world with with our consciousness we're creating we're manifesting the world and stuff like that that kind of stuff I don't think people can absolutely believe that you manifest everything around you there is no other rule that appears to be the rule but people say oh come on so we're so far removed our belief system and it's not until our belief system changes and we're able to be open to that that we can start to explore and do experiments and stuff like that as long as we're throwing all the data in the garbage uh we're going to just shuffle these pieces around and do some more investigation get some more ufo sightings how many green ones how many red ones how many fast ones how many slow ones and the craft can appear as whatever it wants it can morph everybody knows that apparently i, I had a, a friend who was at a meeting he was shown a classified film and this was at the the monroe institute a bunch of people you probably heard the story he was there he was showed a classified film from the u.s government that showed a craft morphing and if that's true 
forget about UFO sightings. It can appear as whatever it wants, whatever size it wants. This is a total waste of time. We've got to go to the experiencers and ask them what they're doing. The craft is 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 not going to teach as much, except to say, yeah, something's going on. And it probably isn't ours. So on that, and like you say, the instantaneous speed and distance travel, but did any of them ever look in, you know, at one point it was 5 p.m., the next point it was 5.01. But within that, they've had an experience that lasted hours. But So that never happened. But like No, the only, the only one was the only one that explained any sort of time was Susie Hansen's story from New Zealand. Susie Hansen tells the story of how they were teaching her how to fly the craft, one with a stick where she was moving the stick and one with her mind. And she said it was easier to do with the mind. And then they take her back. She says she's in it. She thinks she's in North America somewhere. She's on the far side of the planet. And that's when they take her through the planet. And she's terrified. She said, we're going to go through the planet. And they actually fly the craft right through the middle of the earth. And she, they talk about, I can't remember she described it. It's in her, she has her book, um, Dual Soul Connection, and then her new book. But she describes this. She, I have a chapter, but she has a whole chapter in her book on this, where they're taking her and they talk about, they change dimensions, which I think John uh, Ron um, Johnson talked about that as well. Almost like they were going through the dimensions, like going through our pages of a book. They're going through the dimensions. She describes the same thing that they could go through the earth because they could, I, I don't want to quote her, but it's like sort of, they could change the dimension and, and go through the earth. They're not really at the same uh, vibration as the earth, but she describes this time period going through the earth. Other than that, no, I don't remember anybody. And a lot of people just had the craft, like the guy from Liverpool, all he did, they, they were just levitating at 50 feet or uh, 500 feet off the ground and then bringing it back down to the, to the ground. They weren't really flying anywhere. They were just sort of this experimental thing where there's a whole group of people in there. And he said, can I have my turn? And they said, yeah. And then he took his turn. So a lot of them really don't really go like, uh, there's only a couple of them that went to the far side of the universe and stuff. Or uh, uh, John Ramirez talks about this ice planet that he goes to. And I'm not sure whether there's time. Most of them, I don't think there's there's time. And they, they'll point out the fact that there is no time and space. And that's what falls apart when you start looking at these stories is there may be no time and space. It may be all one point. It's all here. It's all now. There, Everything's like a deck of cards. And uh, there's only here and now. And that's a very hard concept for people to understand unless you get accustomed to to the material and read it. And the more you see it, the more you see that material. And uh, no, I don't. I, there was only Susie Hansen described a little bit of that time going through the earth. But other than that, no, no. The, the time and space, well, you see that in the free survey that people will say time and space basically disappeared. The same as it sort of disappears in an out-of-body experience or near-death experience or as psychedelics. The same thing that once you get into the field, you get out of the, the time, the physical uh, dimension or vibration or whatever, time and space seem to disappear. Or Chris Bledsoe described when he had his initial experience in 2007, he said it appeared like it, he thought it was three days. He said when it, the experience happened, it appeared like it was three months that he was with them. Three months and it was only three days. So it's the same sort of time dilation weird thing where you get the guy on DMT and he on the on the, the if you've seen the the in the documentary and he said how long was I gone and they and they said ten minutes and he said a thousand years in ten minutes that he thought he'd been there for one guy twenty five hundred years he planted a forest on a on a on a on a, a hill and he remembered every minute of twenty five hundred years he was only gone ten minutes so that's the thing is when 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 you get into this field time and space disappear because time and space are attributes of the physical universe and when you get into this field you are no longer in this vibrating physical universe.
Next up from um, Lycia or Lycia, apologies for getting your name incorrect in one of those at least. Um, she wants to know how often do you hear of these UFO sky pilots having discussions with beings in the craft during the experiences, and are many questions asked? Well, they they're all experiencers, so they have a lot of questions. Yeah, so they have a lot of um, encounters. But when they're flying the craft, is only one of their many experiences. So it's not this is the only experience they have. They have all sorts of uh, ideas about, uh, like Ron Johnson was taken to the spirit world by his being and stuff. But the the one with the the craft, uh, usually it's it's very simple. Like Chris Bledsoe's was to put his hand on this beehive that was in the middle of the room, and it's basically very uh, just how to how to do it or this idea you know what to do just do it it's very simple ex- instructions and um that's that's all that happens but they do have all sorts of other experiences in terms of like writing books they can tell you where the being is coming from what the name of the being is uh, all this kind of stuff and uh so yeah they have a lot of experiences but the, this one here no they they the, the only thing they will ask and it comes to this thing about the fact that it's within you, that, that you can do it. It's within you. Go within yourself. It's there. But uh, not much. Of course, I didn't really ask any questions. You know, the other uh, was anything what happened after that or anything like this. I was just particularly interested in that one idea of the of, of flying the craft. Next up is a question from Jason in L.A. In your opinion, Grant, why do you think UFOs ever crash? I think it's uh, as what I uh, uh, Tim Taylor. um, If you heard the story, it's in uh, American Cosmic, where um, he took uh, Diane Pasolka and Gary Nolan to the area in New Mexico where there was a crash site, and they had these special Geiger counters that got he guess from NASA or whatever. And it was actually my friend that took uh, uh, Tim Taylor there and showed him where the crash site was. And so he blindfolds them and takes them there. And she said, when we got there, she said. He he started to pray before we went on the site. He started to pray, and they called it the gifting field. And um, then uh, uh, Bob Bigelow talks about this. He said, there was a crash. Yeah, there was a crash in Roswell. But I also think there was a crash in, in Russia. I think there was a crash in China. I think there was a crash in South America. I think they're seeding them around the world. And then uh, the last one was I was talking to Jacques Vallée. Because Jacques Vallée is on this thing about the pieces. And I said, Jacques, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, you got these pieces. They're falling off these crafts. It doesn't you come across the galaxy. And, and then these pieces falling off the craft. I said, it looks, it looks more like they're dropping them, that they're, they're gifting them to us. And he said, oh. He says, I think I was the one that came up with that idea. So Jacques Vallée, uh, Bigelow, and Tyler D. from NASA all say it's gifting. They're dropping this stuff. They're, they're giving us this stuff on purpose to, to move us along. That it, it's, They call this thing in, in New Mexico the gifting field. And she said when they go there, they build an altar. And she said there's all these altars all over the place. All these people, when you come on, you've got to pray, and then you've got to build, build this gifting field. And that's when you see start getting it weird. You start seeing this spiritual implication, which a lot of people don't want to put in there. And uh, But it is called the gifting field and a lot of top people believe they are actually gifting this stuff to us they're actually crashing on purpose or especially the material the material they're dropping from the sky that's absolutely that was the first case ever that was three days before kenneth arnold everybody leaves that out so that was the first ufo kenneth arnold no it wasn't it was maury island where they the ufo the crash and it was always the same thing it's like the craft is there and there's three crafts and the one's wobbling and it's like it's gonna crash and everybody's going oh the ufo's gonna crash and and, these, and then they, they, the the two ufos go beside it and then the 
thing drops this this metal out and then they, the crafts all take off. They always do that because the broken wing. They want you to see it. The craft is going to crash and it's flopping around and then it drops the metal and then they go people people pick up this metal and uh, that's that's all like like stage show that they 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 want to make a big display of it. So the first UFO sighting was actually they dropped all this stuff that this craft exploded and all this materials raining down that kills this dog and breaks this guy's arm and stuff. That's how the UFO thing started with material. And that's what I, I think they're doing. They're doing this weird sort of uh, breadcrumb thing. I, I, I say it's like the grade one says, you know, they say, how are we going to get to the, the idea to these people on this other planet? And the grade ones say, hey, let's have some crafts and let's fly around with lights on. And so why do UFOs have lights on? Because the grade one class wanted lights. They wanted you to see them. That's why UFOs have lights on. They don't need lights. They, 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 it's not navigation. They have no navigation lights. And, and, and the grade two class might do cattle mutilations. The grade three ones might do orbs. And they, they're all doing these different things. And that's they're dropping from 80,000 feet or my first sighting, the one that I think they dragged me out on. I would not have been in UFOs if this sighting had not taken place. They had it on the ground, surrounded on the ground. A bunch of people, there was nine people involved. The thing jumped up in the air. They thought it had disappeared. And the guy at the end of the road, eight and a quarter miles away, is filming. And he said, the next thing this thing this thing comes up, I'm going to I'm gonna push the trigger. And, and as it started to flare up, he pushed the trigger and the thing jumped up in the air, almost like it was timed. You're ready to shoot. Get ready. I'm going to jump. And it jumps from ground level to eight, 5,000 feet in one eighth of a second. And that's on film. And and so why did they do that? Why did they do that whole thing? Because they wanted me out there. And I spent the rest of my life chasing this thing because they got that film. If it meant that film, I never would have gone. I had no interest in UFOs. And that's what I think they're doing. They're doing these really weird things. And if it's not weird, you're not going to pay attention to it. So it's, it's like really, really strange and to get your attention. And everybody that you have a sighting, you can ask them, when was the sighting? And they'll tell you exactly what day. It was like it happened yesterday. They know all the details because it's embedded in their mind. And that's all I think they're doing. They're raising consciousness to realize you are not alone. It is not a material universe. It is much grander, much more magnificent than you think it is. And pay attention and they just keep doing these weird things to show you that that it's not the world you think it is because we're stuck in 1492 we still think the world is flat the sun goes around the earth we're the center of the universe and everything is solid there's only one galaxy people don't realize that it was only a hundred years ago even not even a hundred years that people believed Einstein, all these people believe there's only one galaxy. That, I mean, you've got to realize how far we've come. And that's what's happening is this gradual unfolding as we learn and we start to learn and we're starting to learn the paranormal aspects of the universe, that there's multiple dimensions, there's multiple vibrations. It's all made out of consciousness. This is the kind of stuff that it was going to take a long time to shift, almost like Max Planck says, we do not convince, you do not, you do not win by convincing your opponent that you're right. It's, it's a matter of funerals and the new generation that comes along is not offended with the idea. This whole idea that it, we're, we're, we're just stuck in our ideas and that when we're gone, then the young kids will say, yeah, there's multiple dimensions. There's aliens. Come on. No, they're not going to have any problem with this stuff. But the, the skeptical older generation, you're never going to convince them. Stanton Friedman spent 61 years arguing with every major skeptic in the world at Oxford and all over the place. And he never convinced a single major skeptic of anything. People are embedded in their ideas. And uh, so they, they, this is how they're teaching us. They're teaching us by making us think about it, by us coming to the conclusion rather than landing on the White House lawn and doing our homework for us. You answered a question from Luigi within that as well. So thank you, Grant. Uh, so next up, a question from Paul. Do you know of anyone who has or tried to gain photographic or video evidence showing themselves piloting these craft? 
Well, no, because this is very this is very new. You got to remember, these are the first thirty six to come forward. There may be other people who will come forward. There are a lot of people who claim that they've got, um, uh, you know, you uh, in photographs from inside the craft, stuff like that. None of that stuff ever pans out. Even back in the fifties, they were claiming they they had cra- you know photographs from inside the craft. Um, Chris Bledsoe, the, the closest thing I can think, and it's not a photograph, it's just a drawing where yeah, I've got it in the book where Chris draws the panel and has these, a lot of people will describe the, it has lights on the panel and symbols. And so Chris, uh, is a, an artist and he, uh, draws the panel, this sort of curved panel around the wall that has all these, uh, these, um, symbols on them that you, people will describe the beings actually just wave their hand above the, they don't touch the panel. They just wave their hand above the panel and stuff when they're, when they're flying. But no, we're, we're pretty early in the game here. Uh, this is only the first people to come forward. So, uh, these are the only people and none of them describe, they, they're all shocked by the fact that they were flying the craft. There, there was nobody planning this thing or, uh, you know, nobody came out with a camera. They were all taken out of their beds or out of tents and, you know, abducted and stuff like that, where they were not in control of the situation. They were just sort of taken there. And photographic stuff doesn't work anyway, because, uh, you know, Bigelow tried that. And they, they had this whole idea that not only does the phenomenon know what, what you're doing, it knows what you're going to do. And it makes make cameras uh, lose their batteries when they want you to film, they will actually like the, the film, the first one I had where it, it definitely was set up. This guy wasn't even a cameraman. It was like, it was totally set up where this thing was wanted to be filmed or the, the Nimitz thing where they'll allow certain people to film it, but it's not enough evidence. It'll, they'll always leave like a, a, a room for a skeptic to knock it down. It's almost like they sort of discount their own uh, UFO photographs when, when they allow themselves to be photographed. And yet we're getting more and more uh, photographic evidence. And uh, I, I, in the end, that may not prove anything anyway. The U.S. government does have very confirming UFO evidence. And apparently they have some where you can actually see the beings in the craft. So we'll have to go there. But this is you, early on. These people had no intention to fly the craft. They were suddenly taken out. And they only happened once. The, 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 guy, the 747 guy had it happen twice. Other than that, this is an off the beat thing where they were just, suddenly they were there and they were flying the craft and they were just shocked by this thing. So they weren't prepared and didn't have their cameras. Question from Newman. Is Grant aware whether the US military has been trying to instrumentalize the rumored side effect of prescience or increased situational awareness or foresight of future events which subjects are rumored to experience after having piloted UAPs? Oh, government's been in that forever. That was, I believe, why I, I mentioned when I had my download in 2012, one of the things that was shown to me was the top secret Canadian government document, 1950, November, that said uh, the Americans told us that other things might be associated with the flying saucers, such as mental phenomena. And they aren't doing very well because they said if the Canadians are working on this problem, they're willing to exchange credentials and talk to us. So in 1950, the Americans knew that mental phenomena was involved with UFOs. How would they know that? Adamski didn't appear till two years later. And then he started talking about telepathic contact. How did they know? And maybe because they had a live alien in Roswell and they realized this thing was alive and it was talking in their heads. So the government has been worried. That's why I say they worked on MKUltra. They didn't work on MKUltra, maybe a little bit to for, uh, you know, mind control over 
you know, enemy uh, people when you capture them and stuff like that. But they were trying to figure out consciousness. They realized that consciousness was this key thing that they had to figure out. And that's why they were doing all these bizarre experiments. So, yeah, the government is trying to do this. And they, they've actually worked. Uh, one of this, the tapes I have actually released was the the the, kit, the tape with Kit Green. And I'm about to release another video by this woman. Her name is Kay Randall May. Uh, Kit Green from the CIA, who was the control officer for the remote viewing program, said that this woman, when it comes to medical stuff, is 95 to 100% accurate. She did a reading for me in April of this year. It's about to be released. Within the next couple of days, I'm going to explain in the first uh, audio uh, podcast what, what happened. And then she's going uh, to be on YouTube. And then I'm going to actually play the actual um, uh, video of her doing this reading. Now she has been used, she's also a scientific intuitive. So she was used by Kit Green. If you've heard this experiment, Kit Green is doing this experiment with Nolan, with experiencers, and they're doing the MRI and the, the, the DNA and all this sort of stuff. And they're grabbing, they're trying to see if, if, if DNA is being programmed or changed or, uh, you know, this thing in the brain that's the psychic thing. They're doing all this sort of stuff. And they were using her they hired her. They were, they were using her. And I got one of the readings that she did for Kate Green. And she's talking about, they're saying, who are we dealing with? And she said, oh, there's a portal off the coast of California. And we're in this fourth dimensional being or whatever it was she's talking about. And she's talking about all this, this stuff. And Kate Green's going, hang on, hang on. Let me write that down. It's right. It's like taking deadly serious so yeah the government is absolutely if if somebody is claiming that they can there was one guy who's that saw 9-11 and i had five people six people experiencers who saw 9-11 before it happened there was a lot of people there's actually a book written on it people who saw 9-11 before it happened because it was this i guess traumatic vibration in the frequency and people were picking it up and um so this guy was picked up by nsa and uh, I think he's actually from England and he they brought him in because he saw the 9-11 thing. So, yeah, they're always working on this kind of stuff. Anything, anything is, is fair game for the CIA, not so much for the CIA, but whoever's doing this, uh, the uh, military intelligence. That's why they went to Skinwalker Ranch. They did not go to Skinwalker Ranch, I maintain, for UFOs because there really was no UFOs there. What there was there was a port material. Things appearing and disappearing and moving and putting bulls inside trailers and that's my next book coming out is a port's manifestations. But that's why they went there. They wanted to see this all this stuff. How do you get four bulls inside a locked trailer? And they were trying to figure out how, how do they talk in their heads because when you see this whole thing where these three guys have the, the hitchhiker effect where they take this thing home and they're terrified and they won't go back. These are special forces guys they were hunting the skinwalker and suddenly the thing turned around and was hunting them and inside their head they heard a voice that said leave you are not welcome and they were terrified and they they went in this this you know these orbs started to follow them home and stuff like that that's the kind of stuff that the that's why they went there they wanted to see how does this work can we do this man if we could get inside putin's head and if we could make things appear and disappear then and they actually is a 74 document from the defense intelligence agency if we can uh um, actually do this um, apport thing where somebody can make something appear and disappear. We can actually go and steal another country's documents, top secret documents, bring them back, photo photograph them, and then uh, make them reappear and nobody will even know they were gone. That's in a 1974 DIA document. They were dead. Anything remote viewing, the future, all this kind of stuff. Absolutely. Because it's intelligence stuff that puts you ahead of your enemy. And, and the Chinese are working on it and the Russians are working on it. Everybody's working on it. They realize this component. And that may be part of the reason that they're, they're not releasing this stuff is because there is this psychic 
consciousness component that they have not figured out. They cannot turn the craft on and they are not going to relate it. That's what Eric Walker told us in 19, 1990. He was a main guy. Kit Green went to see this guy. He got a clearance to go see this guy. We were dealing with this guy. And he said to us, he said, tell me why you want to know. You're just curious. Admit all you want to do. You're curious. You just want to know. Why should we change the rules to satisfy your curiosity? And then he said, when you figure it out, what are you going to do with it? And this is the thing behind the scenes. They're working on it. They don't care. They've got rules that they, this is classified. They're going to figure this thing out and they don't care if the guy, they, you and I and everybody in the world is interested in what's going on. They're building weapons. They're trying to figure this thing out before the Russians. They see this as top secret security material, and they'll be damned if they're going to tell anybody what's going on. And that's what's going on, I think, in the background. It's this consciousness thing. It's not the fact that UFOs exist. It's this technology. Because if you heard what Eric Davis said, that in 1989, they put it on the shelf. They could not figure it out. They put it on the shelf, and every seven or eight years, they take it off the shelf, look at it, and say, oh, we still can't figure it out. Put it back on the shelf. And Kit Green has said that publicly, that we have, this is the core story. We, we are being visited by something. We have crash material and we, we are having a difficult time back engineering it and having a difficult time because it has this consciousness thing. It's not a simple motor where you just rebuild it like a, like a MIG jet or something like that. It has this consciousness thing and you need the person to make it work. I'd just like to thank everyone who sent in listener questions and to those whose questions I didn't get to. Grant, just before you go, I'd love to get your thoughts finally on the unclassified UFO report that was due to be released to Congress by the 31st of October, which still hasn't been submitted as of the 18th of November as we record this. What are your thoughts on the delay and any expectations for when it finally does get released? Well, this is what I just talked about. Uh, there's nothing going to happen. They're going to they're going to release because the leak came out. It was at 360 cases. Half of them are unidentified. Uh, what are the cases? Classified. Can't tell you. Uh, what's the shape? Can't tell you. It's all going to be classified. So all we're doing is moving it one step ahead. So now Congress sort of knows what's going on. But the, the public is not going to know because it's the idea. You just want it for curiosity. This is national security material. We're trying to figure this thing out. We're not going to tell the people. And so that we're even worse off than Blue Book. In Blue Book, at least we knew what the shapes were. At least we had the cases. We had Now we don't have anything. All they're doing is saying, oh, 144 cases and one we, we could identify. Sorry, that's all we can tell you. We know nothing. This is a total waste of time. It's, it's just like the same old deal. And all we're doing is gathering material for the black world because the black world, I believe, had this compartmentalization stovepiping thing where you had a piece of the craft, I had a piece of craft. We were not allowed to talk to each other because of the security thing. We need some help. So they're getting this uh, information and money from the white world to get more, more material because they're stuck. They can't figure it out. And so they're going to grab this and it's all going to get sucked into this black hole and the public is not going to know anything unless it's forced out. And I can't see they're going to force it out because they're just going to keep saying this is classified. If the shape of the UFO is classified, what else are they going to release? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. They're not going to tell you how it flies or, uh, you know, piloting it or uh, remote viewing or any of that kind of stuff. That is stuff that is highly military applications that they would like to learn. So, no, I don't think anything's going to happen. Even the stalling, they're, they're, it's like a, a game of chicken. It's like force us out. And now we have basically a stalled uh, Congress. We have the, the House run by the Republicans. And all they're going to do is all these investigations on Biden and all these other things they're looking at. They're, they're not going to make a single piece of legislation. We're in a lame duck uh, until 
January twenty first, and they were in lame duck because the the uh, the House is going to be fighting with the Senate, and nothing's going to get done except that it's done through executive order by Biden. So for the next two years, we're stalled. You can't get anything through the House because it's all it's these people fighting. Uh, so we, we've gone past the point. If it had been released before the election. Then it may have made something, but now it's a, it's a stalled thing. Everybody's getting ready to leave. Everybody's clearing out their desks. They're, 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 that's the last thing they're worried about is this report. Well, one thing that has been released and does not disappoint, Grant, is your book, UFO Sky Pilots, Pilots of Peace and Oneness. And anyone can pick up a copy on Amazon or through other book distributors where it may be available. I'll put all those links in the description of the show and they can pick that up. And Grant, next time when your next book is available, uh, you said you've got a few coming out on ports and apparitions. Yeah, ports and manifestations. And manifestations. Then I'm, doing, I'm doing a book on evil aliens. The big controversy, are they good or are they bad? I'm going to do a book on that. Well, I look forward to speaking to you about those as Thank well. Thank you, Andy. You're always welcome on, and it's always a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you, sir. That is all for this week's show. Thank you very much for listening. Please remember to leave the podcast a review on your chosen platform. You can like, retweet, and subscribe. That would all be very much appreciated. The shows are being uploaded onto YouTube as we speak more and more. You can sign up at patreon.com forward slash that UFO podcast to access shows ad free as well. Please get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, that UFO podcast. Of course, on Twitter, it's at UFO, U-A-P-A-M. And again, folks, as always, keep looking up. You never know what you might see. It wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer, more like a hubcap designed by Chaucer, a little Baroque and quite steampunk, like Alice was playing bass for the Parliament of Folk. The little fucker hovered right outside of my window, and when I shoved out the screen, he made it an issue. I don't think he expected me to see his ass, but I'd had some champagne and smoked a little Meditative game of state full on meta. I can't imagine how it could have been any better. I got to the top of the stairs and there he was. Like you awake? I was about to abduct you, cuz. I jumped back and nearly kissed myself. Then I climbed out the window after the elf. And I woke up in my bed and there was something on my head and everything was weird and everything was red. My boys, they thought this was noise, they thought it was a dream, they thought it was my toys, they thought it was my problems, and they think I should take care of me, and I don't know what it is, because it doesn't really scare me. Consider your lies, consider your life, consider your eyes. Listen.